they're moving so fast they don't have time to build processes that sort of fit together. So people are making stuff up on the fly. But you sort of reach this critical mass as a business that if you don't have this stuff buttoned up, it's two steps forward, three steps back. And like you just sort of end up in that place where it's difficult to scale. Welcome to the 16th episode of the DV Coach Podcast. I am Eric Michelson, and I am here to help you navigate this crazy world that we live in, and we're going to give you insight on leading your store and what it takes to make our store more profitable, make our stores more profitable, have more fun while we're doing it, and win. In today's episode, we go outside the home healthcare realm because it's good to read outside of your area. And I've had the pleasure of knowing 2004 Olympic silver medalist in the high jump, Matt Hemingway. I've known him for about 20 years now, and he is an amazing guy. Just amazing. And it's fun when you get to know someone who is at the top of their profession and in his case, uh, he was number two in the world, Olympic silver medalist, but he's an even better person. And on top of that, he's not just an athlete. He is a brilliant, brilliant business person. He is uh, six years vice president of sales for Service Magic. He was also vice president of sales for toll-free forwarding. And now he's a director of growth operations for Axient, which is a company out of Denver, Colorado. And what I want to do is what do other leaders and other professions do to lead their teams and lead their teams well? And it's also cool to see how this is tied into his athletic career. So today we jump out of the DME home healthcare realm. I bring you Matt Hemingway, and he's going to give you some great insight that you can take and then apply this directly to your business as you lead your employees, as you sell your services, as well as how to take care of yourself and keep growing as an individual. Matt Hemingway, and yes, he is probably related to Ernest Hemingway and silver medalist, 2004 Olympic Games. Oh, high jump. You might say, well, high jump. How high is the high jump? How, how high did he high jump? To win the silver medal, he high jumped 7 foot 8 inches. His all-time PR, a few years earlier, he high jumped 7 foot 9 and 3 quarters. I'm six foot two. If I put my hands up, I'm not sure if I have a reach of seven foot nine and three quarters. And he jumped over that without knock, knocking the bar off. So enjoy the interview today with Matt Hemingway, Olympic silver medalist and business leader on how he inspires his team as well as how he grows in his business. Well, hey, I like to start all the podcasts off with just kind of a high and low for the week, and I'll I'll, I'll go first. And uh, my high for this week was I, I I told you that's why I put the interview off. I was at a Kara's time trial today, so as the father of a track and field athlete whose school season has been canceled, we're trying to do a makeshift track season, which is me out there with a camera and a clock. And she did not PR personal record today, but she did have a 
decent 800 meter run all by herself. Uh, we talked one boy into socially distancing in front of her most of the race, which was nice. So that was my highlight for the week. Just It's fun, you know how it is, just to get out to the track. It feels a little bit like normal. Um, low light for the week. My kids are going nuts, like absolute nuts to the point where one of my kids knocked over a door and broke a door today. So what do you, what do, you do? Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. I, I mean, I'm going crazy. So, I mean, of course, I can't imagine what the energy that your children have. Plus, you have much more of them than I have. Yes. So, uh, and, and I'm like, you broke a door. How did you break a door? Well, Nils was in my room, and I looked at Nils. I'm like, why were you in your sister's room? And he's like, busted. There's nothing you can do when you're eight and in your 14-year-old sister's room. Yeah, so now I have a broken door. But it just it's we're making memories as a family. Yeah, uh, that's true. How about you? High low for the week, my friend. Um, let's see. I don't have anything that riveting, really. Um, you know, the the highlight is just getting some projects and stuff sort of knocked out of getting my you know office a little more sorted out. We, we painted Asha's room this weekend. Looks really good when it's clean. Um, just you know, one of those challenges I have with a, a sixteen-year-old. Um, you know, the low light at this point is snow. Because I'd finally gotten, um, like, we got a big snow in in November, and we live at about 8,000 feet, a little above that. And we have a fairly steep driveway. And um, from November till pretty much the middle of March, towards the end of it, we couldn't literally drive to the bottom of the driveway. Um, so the car's parked on the road or sort of partially down the driveway, and it had all melted finally. And I was so excited. And now we've gotten, I got like 10 inches of snow like three days ago. And then I got another 10 inches today. But it had all pretty much cleared off. Um, so that's a low. And then I'm, um, and sort of to the double on top of that, up until this morning, I'd had a migraine for about 48 hours straight. Oh, bummer. Which was really fantastic. Um, especially when you work on a computer all day. It's just less than optimal. <laughs> well, you look good now. So doing way better. A little Excedrin PM, and I'm good to go. Good, good. Well, hey, uh, first, first question. I've asked you this, but for the podcast, last name Hemingway. Are you related to Ernest, and how? To the best of my knowledge, I am. But that is somewhat, I, I think, family. Not to say family lore, but like, um, apparently there was a big split in the family. Um, rumors are a polygamous marriage. Back at the end of the 1800s Ooh, or something. Oh, that sounds more exciting. Yeah, no, I mean, but but I, I don't know for sure, so I don't want to accuse anybody of anything. But, um, <laughs> but you just said don't accuse and polygamy in like two sentences. So yeah. So um, apparently the family like split, um, and nobody really knows the other side. I think my great 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 grandmother was the last person to really know, but no one ever spoke of it. Um, so it's possible, um, and I did. I have exchanged like an email or two with Marielle Hemingway. Um, like after the Olympics, I had sort of talked to. Um, I was doing an interview for a guy who was writing a book, and he had her info, and, and she said, "Well, I, I don't really know, but there was something weird that happened around then, as I recall." So that's great. Um, so hey, how did we meet? How did some guy from Yakima, Washington, meet a Olympic silver medalist in track and field? Because he wasn't an Olympic silver medalist. <laughs> he was 
uh, a neurotic um, sales manager working for a telecom company. Um, so my wife and I, Kate, we've been married close to 21 years. God, I can't believe it's been that long. Um, we um, we'd gotten married, I think, the summer or so previously. And uh, I was working at a rafting company, Noah's Ark Whitewater Rafting, which is my favorite place on earth, probably. Um, and then we moved to Denver, and then we ended up, we were going to a church, uh, Southern Gables, I yep. think it was, in Southwest Denver. And we got in this small group thing with the guy, uh, Dave Legemeyer, Chris Lord, um, Phil Hodges and his wife. Um, and there was, who else was, was there? And the Steiners, I think it was. That's right. Craig. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, we all were in it and I had retired from track and field pretty much like in 1996, I was an alternate on the Olympic team. Um, and I was like, I'm never doing this again. And then, um, I sort of, there was a gym nearby and I thought it would be fun. I was playing basketball with a bunch of old people and I had no idea that you were like a track junkie, like probably more of a fanatic than me. I was, Um, I still am. Yeah. You're far more of a fan. Like I was like, it's fun. And um, it's like one of the few things I'm good at. So, um, so I, uh, I guess it was was that 99, 1999. Boy, we sound old. We, we um, are old. No, it's 2000, 2001 We met. No, it was ninety nine. Oh, was it ninety nine? Okay, it was 99 because I first started jumping again in ninety nine, but then I got hurt in December. Oh, that's right. And I started jumping. My first meet back was in January. Um, you know, this is the you know, if I ever write the book, it's my deliberate decision to be an uh, accidental Olympic medalist. Um, but I started jumping and within weeks, you know, getting back on, I qualified for nationals. And then, you know, there were a couple of ups and downs, but the rest is sort of history. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, I'll go back because it, you happened to make the 2004 Olympics and the day that you jumped was the day that my sister was also competing in the Olympics. So the day that you won silver was also the day my sister won silver. And that's was crazy. For, that's true. Except for your years are wrong. You said 2000, it's 2004, 2004. You're exactly right. Exactly right. So, yeah, I remember that because, you know, you and I've been good friends for years. Um, and then, you know, I, I was, clearly not expected to do anything. I think I was almost 32 when I finally got to the games. Mm-hmm. I'm persistent and stubborn like my dog. Um, and, um, you know, it was funny. So we had training camp and we were going to Crete and I missed you. I saw your parents in the airport um, and I'd seen them and I was like, Hey, what's going on? And then after the Olympics, uh, we were going down to do some interviews with like NBC and a couple of the news stations and sort of the press pool. And I had never met your sister. And I saw her standing over there. And I think I'd seen a picture once. And we both looked at each other at the same time. And we like totally knew who each other were. Like we were just like, hey, I know you, but I don't know you. Exactly. (laughs) Wow. That was like yesterday. And only Kara was nine months old when we were at the games. And now she's on the verge of 17. So evidently we're getting older, aren't we? Uh, Yes. I feel it every time I try to go out for a run. Mm. So tell me, what is your current job? What do you do? So I am the director of growth operations for a software company. Um, Our company's Axiant. So we um, provide sort of a backup disaster recovery um, stuff. So we have a a product that's 
sort of like OneDrive and uh, Dropbox on steroids called Anchor. We have one that backs up your um, your Office 365 instance. Um, although Microsoft, you know, has that, they recommend you have a third party that does that in case somebody like hacks into your stuff and you know ransomware. We hear more and more about that stuff. So our product backs that up, and we don't actually sell to end customers. We have a couple other products. Um, you know, CloudFinder and Anchor, and we have another one, Replibit, which is a true BDR solution. But um, my job, you know, to not bore you with too much of that, is to help enable the sales team. And um, we sort of joke about this is my job, sort of to keep sales and marketing honest um, about sort of what's going on. So I handle a lot of the reporting um, and any anything that the teams need. If there's lists, my team takes care of that. Um, we also do like I also have our Salesforce administrator reports to me, so I do some Salesforce administration, but I also sort of plan the strategic direction of kind of where we're going and what needs to be fixed and well, the kinds of things we need. So obviously you're an athlete. How does how do you coach your team underneath you? How does that translate to business, or does it, or do you just tell really good stories? Uh, yeah, the, per, the the latter. No, um, I, I tell stories, some, but you know I really don't. It's interesting. So. For most of my professional career, like I've been, I was sort of, I was really uncomfortable really talking about track and field. Um, and I'm not really sure why that was, but I, I think a lot of it stemmed from my dad um, sort of raised us in, in a way. He was sort of like, never read your own press. And he always really taught us to say, you're not, you know, just because you're really good at something and you have this gift that you've been given doesn't mean you're better or anything than anybody else. So I sort of took that as sort of, um, and whether right or wrong, I've become more comfortable with it, but I don't really tell a lot of stories about track and field. I don't really show it off. Um, I've worked at places literally for two or three years and people that reported to me or reported to my managers, they had no idea. So um, I try not to layer too much of that stuff in. Um, and I don't know if it's totally relatable, but I think there are, there are stories that are totally relatable. So um, I feel like that when you're, teaching people or you're coaching people um you know that there's an old saying that says people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care um which i think is really a, a good one like i i really feel like i'm super transparent um i try to be really brutally honest um with people uh, sometimes that works in your favor sometimes it doesn't you know you gotta learn to sort of massage that but um i know you can appreciate that eric because you're one of those people um like and be like, wow, well, you know, I could sugarcoat this, but um, that's really not going to get us the outcome we want. I'd, I'd rather you just know the truth. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. Um, and, I, so, and I appreciate that from you too. You bring it as as you see it. Yeah, it's like I know I know what it is. Now, you know, certain people you have to sort of figure out how to delicately put that and hopefully not insert your foot in your mouth and you know publicly. But I I think you know from a, from my perspective as far as coaching people. Um, I tell people, even like in the interview process, I'm like, look, you will never question where you stand with me. If I'm upset with you, you will know, period. That's how it is. So unless I've told you that I'm not happy with you, I'm happy, right? Um, but I think you're constantly providing feedback. I think um, you, know, you think about like quarter reviews and performance reviews and those sorts of things. Yeah, they're important and you do them. Those to me are like, those are the track meets of your life. Right. Of the the hey, we had a track meet and what were my results and am I progressing? And, you know, you can see that that's one of the things I loved about track was it was, it was very sort of cut and dry. Like there wasn't like, oh, there's politics on the team. It's like I either beat you or I didn't. I either PR or I didn't. I either got better or I didn't. 
So I think you can do that. But I think that the day-to-day interaction is more like the practice sessions. And if you give a, if you have a great performance for one, one event, right? Like that's awesome. And you need to relish that, but you need to look at coaching people, coaching them up, giving them feedback in a much broader perspective and make sure that you're doing it often because, you know, the, you know, you, you've heard, you know, people remember a negative review, you know, and tell 10 people or 15 people or whatever it is before they, you know, you can overcome, you know, you know, you've got 15 or 16 net positives that you got to for one negative. You can't give all the positives in one sitting. You need to give a lot of positives all the time. A lot of thank you. A lot of you're a rock star. You're so, awesome. So how do you do it? How do you do it? Um, I look for opportunities. Anytime I can do it, I just will do it. And I'll say, great. And more importantly, doing it publicly. So, um, you know, you give, you know, you give people accolades all the time. I push, um, you know, and some of that's me, but like, I never want credit for anything for me, right? Like I've had plenty of time in the sunshine, so to speak, but I would much rather my team. Um, and you know, you know, there's a quote from a guy, you know, Dave Legemeyer. Mm-hmm. And remember this quote, um, from him and it wasn't really specifically him. Um, but he said, he said, it is better to illuminate than to shine. And I, I thought like that, that was an interesting point of like when you talk about your people. And I think if that's sort of the framework in which you um, coach them and develop them and give them feedback and when they do good stuff, you'll find that when you do need to critique and when you do need to give feedback about, hey, that's that's not really what I'm looking for, they're way more receptive to it because you've given lots of positives along the way, sort of like parenting, right? Um, you know, you just, you gotta do that. And I think that's, that's consistent across, I think it's consistent across cultures. Um, you know, and, and you, you just got to continue to give those pauses, but it's not a carrot and it's not a stick. It's a both and not an either or. Good. I like that. I preach us too. Um, so we would both agree having not talked about it yet. To be a good, healthy professional, you have to be healthy yourself. How do you do that? How do you make sure? I, I know what goes on behind behind the scenes. Why? Why? Why are you, you know, a good, healthy leader? Oh well, I would. You know, I'm I'm pretty hard on myself. Um, so I mean, I would say there are times that I'm really good, and there's other times where I'm not so good. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, it's a good thing we're not doing this interview with my wife. Um, yeah. Um, I, I think, I don't think it's a, I'm a healthy, I think it like, it's a series of sprints and, you know, with sprints, there's failures and there's also successes. Um, I think for me, you know, I'm, and this may sound weird, but I'm typically healthiest as a person when I'm physically active still. Right. And that's going to sound like, well, was that, you know, it's, it's emotional. So it's like, look, I'm just wired to move. Right. Like so, um, you know, if I'm, you know, which I'm, I'm, I've got a little knee injury going on right now. That's, you know, may not get better. So I have to, I've got to find new ways to move. Um, so I, I think sort of understanding as a leader that you're not, you know, I think, not being, not seeing yourself as any better than anybody else, 
right? Like you need to see yourself sort of as the cog in the machine, just like the people that you work with. You got to be willing to, you know, oh yeah, you know what? Oh, you know, I, I tell, I have people on my team, um, you know, that, that I've got, I've got one person and, um, they're sort of newly married and I'm like, you know what, get, stop, I'll take care of it. I'll, I'll do it. Like I want to serve those people. And I, you know, somewhat get something out of that as being able to say, yeah, you know, you could do that. Um, I'm not so good at doing that myself. What I think part of what drove me as an athlete, I mean, granted, look, I didn't make an Olympic team till I was 32. I'm, I'm persistent if nothing else. So when I kind of make up my mind to do something, um, uh, you are all in. I'm all in. I'm obsessive. Um, I work like a dog. I mean, especially like, you know, I just say like this month, like I'm trying to find better balance. The last three weeks I probably worked, you know, before, I think last week. So the first three weeks of when we started working from home, I probably worked 12, 13 hour days every day, maybe 14. Um, just because I'm sort of obsessive about, okay, how do we, how do we take care of our people? How do we put ourselves in a good position? This has got to get done. Um, so there is tough balance to be had. So I don't know if I can have a really good answer. Um, I think I think trying to value the relationships that matter the most, and I I struggle with this at times. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily a weakness. I think being able to admit your faults is half the battle. Um, realizing you're not perfect. Um, and there's sometimes you do have to. Um, and, do you, now, do you communicate that with your team? Yeah, like I'm like, look, if you screw up, I don't care. Like if you mess it up, I'm fine with that. Just don't lie to me. Amen. You know, like I, I remember, like I was, I don't know if these were the exact words, but I think the paraphrased version of that my dad told us was, like, I will back you and I'll be in your corner all day long. But if you lie to me, I will like crucify you. I'm just not gonna play. <laughs> so. Um, so, I mean, back to your original question, being a healthy leader means you've got to be able to take time for you. Um, and that means sort of stepping away for a little bit. Um, and I'm getting a little older and I'm, I'm, I'm learning that a little bit better, but I tend to basically be more obsessive about that, um, and, and not take enough time. Um, and, and it, it's a pattern, like, even even the year before the Olympics, I remember uh, Dr. Keith Hinchin, who was our sports site guy um, for the games, he was like, we'd done a bunch of stuff, and I'd met with him years before, and he said, you know, Matt, he's like, you're capable. You're, you've proven that you can do whatever the task is that you make up your mind to do. He says, your problem is you don't know how to engage and disengage and then re-engage. You're engaged. He says, so psychologically in competitions, this is like the best advice I'd gotten was in competitions, you get to, you're, you're mentally in the competition the entire day, right? Like you start that day pretty much, mm -hmm. you know, if the meet's at six, I'm already thinking I'm in the competition almost like at noon. And so by the time the competition has started and it's even, it was even worse once the actual meet started, I would be so focused that by the end of the competition, I was just psychologically and emotionally just beat, right? He's like, you got to learn to dig in and then relax. And then, and so I worked on that and that made a huge difference. And I think the same is true being healthy as a professional and as a, uh, as a leader is you got to learn to focus and then you got to learn to back out. Good. Um, and it's, it's hard to do, especially when you've got, I mean, I got a tool to do list right now. I could hire three people and I could keep them all busy for the next nine months. Like 
60 hours a week. So, so let's say no matter the business, um, you know, cause you're in a different business than I am. Uh, so whoever's listening to this or watching this, what would you tell them to grow in their business or as a leader of other team members, employees? What would say that one more time? The last, part. so, uh, no matter what kind of business, cause you know, we're both in different, I'm in the home healthcare oxygen, you know, wheelchair realm, whereas you're in software and, but no matter what kind of business that you're in, what would you, what would your recommendation be to the leaders, you know, and how they lead their companies and their roles, how they, uh, lead their employees, um, you know, what would be your, what would you be, I'm, I'm tying uh, your words around, what, be, what, what would be your recommendation? I, I think the first um, thing is always, look, you can have a great product, you can have a great business, but if you're not, if you don't invest in your people, I mean, I, we all hear it, right? Like invest in your people, train your people, do all those things, but like how many places and you've been an entrepreneur for a while, but I've worked a lot of different companies where there's so many opportunities to invest in your people better. Right. Um, and that's not the, you know, the occasional hello. Um, it, it's genuinely being interested in your people. Um, like you, you gotta do that period. Like make sure that as a leader that you're not so disconnected from the front line Right. Because you've got the MBA or whatever. Right. Like the people on the front line, they're they're the ones who are actually feeling it. Right. Um, so I think that's that's an important piece. And it's one of the things I, I really like about our, like my company, our CEO, like he sits in the cube just like everybody else. You know, he didn't have an office. Um, I, I can appreciate that. Now, I, I can also think he probably sometimes is like, man, I'd love to have an office. So I'm not in the middle of the sales floor. Um <laughs> But I really like him. Um, the The other thing I would say as a business um, is invest in processes that people can follow with some sort of consistency. Because one of the things that I see and in, in I've been in part of sort of the entrepreneurial startup software business for the better half of the last 15 years is a – you know, is – Companies have a great idea, they're really profitable, or maybe they're not, or whatever, but they're moving so fast they don't have time to build, you know, processes that sort of fit together if there's an acquisition and integrations and things like that. And so people are making stuff up on the fly with all the best intentions and they're getting stuff done and they're making it work. But you sort of reach this critical mass as a business that if you don't have this stuff buttoned up, you, you know, it's two steps forward, three steps back. And like, you just sort of end up in that place where it's difficult to scale. So, you know, you got to invest in your people and you got to give them sort of the ability to make the decisions that they need to do. But at the same time, you need to sort of have always be looking for that, that sort of North star, that reference point that says, this is what we're trying to do. Cause you, I mean, like between the emails flying around the meetings, the Slack channel, Teams meetings, the video conference calls, and all that stuff. It's really hard to keep up with all that stuff. Oh, exactly. Um, 
you know, I, I joke with a few people at work, you know, just the, the level of distraction um, at work. Um, we use Slack at my current office and like there's days where I'm just like, just turn this thing off. Like I just, I can't, you know, but you know, people are waiting for that next response. Um, I once had a guy working for me and he, he was working on something and I was like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm watching the video. I'm like, well, don't you have work to do? And he said, well, yeah, I'm waiting for you to respond on Slack. And I'm like, uh, uh, I'm not waiting around to answer your Slack messages. I'm doing work. So, uh, it was a learning opportunity for me, put it that way. Um, here, next question. What's your favorite podcast? I don't have a favorite, but I will give you a couple. Oh, don't um, give me more than one. You keep changing my life every time you give me like a suggestion. I was telling you about well, that earlier. I'm consistent with nothing. So, um, so I, I listen to. Okay, so let's frame this as I generally am tend libertarian slash conservative. Okay. Um, my wife's fairly liberal, right? Um, like grew up a little more liberal than me, so it's been good. I've sort of migrated to the middle a little better. So I really enjoy the Rubin Report. Um, Dave Rubin, I, I think he does a great job of sort of deflating the emotion that seems to be running rampant everywhere. Any sort of anything that's controversial comes up. Um, I listen to uh, uh, Jocko Willink's podcast. Um, Good one. So Good one. I like Jocko Willink's stuff. I love Jordan Peterson's stuff because he just makes my brain hurt a little bit. Um, and I have to listen to it a couple times. And um, he's a pretty bright guy. Um, and, it's, you know, what's the one I watched? Was it – I think it was Ben Shapiro and Robbie Zacharias on the Rubin Report. Boy, that was a brainbuster. That was amazing. It's a total brain buster. Um, so I, you know, I don't think I have anything new really to share with you because I looked at what's in my podcast library, but I don't listen to stuff regularly. Um, sometimes I listen to Ben Shapiro, um, but yeah, like it's it, it you know, I, I haven't come anything new that like really rocked my world. Um, I think Jordan Peterson, when I read Twelve Rules for Life, was like, wow, like he's thinking about stuff and people. I find a lot of people that are not um, – and I don't agree with everything he says at all. But I can tell he's actually taken the time to put the effort and the intellectual rigor into looking through stuff and not – you know. I feel like culturally it's such an interesting time because we're – everybody's – you know, emotion rules the day. And it, it it's it's really disappointing to see that, you know, you know people are protesting. Look, look, fine, protest. But – Protest all you want. It's your right, free speech, whatever. But if you're going to claim to be tolerant, be tolerant of everybody, and they have a right to an opinion. doesn't mean they're all good. doesn't mean you have to agree with them. Um, there's tons of people that I disagree with. But I, if you can articulate your position and how you got there, man, I'll give you that all day long. Um, but just saying you're awful or, you know, the – I would liken some of the, we'll call it the hate speech that we see is like people, it, it is functionally sort of like yelling fire in a theater or throwing a Mazel Tov cocktail into a crowd because, you know, it, it, it's sort of what happens um, in lang with, with the language and everything's so faux pas. I mean, just roll your, I want to say your VCR, but go back 10 or 15 years 
um, and look at what the, the um, some of the TV shows that were made then you could never make today. Oh no, we're so sensitive to everything and we can't even laugh i mean comedian anyway so that's a whole other diatribe we could go down that that could be a whole other podcast that'd be fun um so i I was mentioning a few life hacks and then i started looking at my list of life hacks that you have turned me on to and i still use to this day for example (laughs) one password i not only do i use it now my entire team i have it for my entire business Yammer. I, I called you. This was five, ten years ago. How do I get my team members off Facebook at work? Um, and then there's a couple other life hacks. So tell me, what is your latest life hack that you have used to make your life easier or business easier that is just working for you? Um, okay, so you won't like any of this. but um, So I've been less the technology nerd that I used to be, but there's a couple. Um, so I'm a Mac guy. Oh, and, uh, I'm, and I'm talking to you on my Mac because of you. Oh, okay. That's the so PC that's, behind me, though. Okay. So the one that um, I think is a great app um, is called Atext. Okay. Um, it's a shortcut thing, so you can program your shortcuts. So, like, I have this report that comes out every day at work, and um, it basically says, hey, these salespeople need to deal with these trials people are requesting a trial but it hasn't been dealt with properly so instead of forwarding the email to the whole team because if i send them the email like automated nobody knows what to do with it right i have this program i wrote up a paragraph about this long that says if this is the case then do this if this boom okay um i type in uh dollar sign trials and the whole paragraph completes and then i just forward the email um (laughs) Uh, and you can program as many of them as you want. So that's a great one. Okay. Um, I use it every day. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, the, the biggest one is that I switched from Apple phones to Google. Um, and granted, the integration's not there, but for most of my cloud stuff, it, it's Sorry, fine. I don't understand. Apparently. Uh-oh. See? She's listening. Uh, yes, she is listening. Um, let, me turn, let me turn off my phone right now uh, just, just to be sure. So, um, I, I love, um, like Google's all their wireless speakers and everything. Um, I have the whole house sort of set up so that like at the home max or whatever, and then I have a home audio one. So there's music on the deck, but the biggest thing with the Google stuff that I really have liked and been a total lifesaver is I don't want to type out a, a long email or a document or something. There's a, and the new pixel. So I have the pixel and it, um, the voice does the voice to text recognition is incredible. Um, and the, they've basically shrunk the, the voice recognition stuff down from like 500 gigs. Um, and it had to go to the cloud to process the language but it can do it on the device. And so you can transcribe in real time a conversation and then you can search it, um, search that conversation. And it is like 98% accurate. Um, that's crazy. Um, so I love that and they don't have it on any other, the other devices. Um, but I really like if I'm doing something long and I've sort of thought through the process, it's much easier to talk, uh, on it. And I I mean, literally we could be having this podcast if I would have set it up and it would transcribe our entire podcast, this entire thing for you in real time. 
Wow. Uh, um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I mean, we use Slack at work. Um, I switched to LastPass instead of one password. Um, Why? I think I got a Kate got a special deal on it for something, and so I mean, it wasn't anything big. Um, I was a big Evernote fan. I don't know if you use Evernote still. I used to finally let to, see. I want everything Apple. Apple just simplified my life, and I appreciate their passion, or at least it looks like for security, knowing that if they won't unlock your iPhone for a terrorist, my stuff's probably safe as long as I keep my passwords in check. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the struggles with Google. Like, I don't really trust them, but you know, I think uh, one thing I feel about Apple is that Apple is um, is incredibly good about the marketing and the public positioning of things. Um, but I don't trust them either. So I sort of feel like, you know, having a dad that sort of specialized in counterterrorism for years, uh, that he basically said, look, if if it's on a computer, and this was 1980. 987 he told me he says if it's on a computer don't put anything on it that you don't want to see in the front page headlines um, so i was like okay interesting perspective and as time's gone by i found that to be incredibly true yeah I, I can't think of any other like big big sort of life hacks that i've done um you know because i i don't spend a lot of time on social media um i, I work too much so that's probably one of them um but, you know, the only, I would say, as far as being more productive, for me, being more productive or is is really more about being less productive and doing something simple like working on my old cars and things like that. And, your, are, and, and, and your Land Rover now works. Yes. Uh, I have another one that I started a new project for. So, um, yes, my 65 Land Rover is great. It's my best gas mileage car. Um, I get, like... 29 miles per gallon in it now um um but i put a turbo diesel in it a new a five speed and like it looks stock but under the hood there's it's a little different so we're good well hey i i i want to so for anyone that's listening to this every, everything that you say you're an even more genuine person because granted i can say that because i've known you since the early 2000s and before matt was a silver medalist and i didn't even know you did track which i was huge i'm like you were just a cool guy in a small group at some church in denver and how it was obviously a god thing that he placed you in my life because i'm like how else did two people just randomly end up and you know you really need to move out to the state of Washington, but I've only been inviting you to do that for like 16 years now. So I'll just have yeah. to come out to Denver and visit you again. You you should. I mean, we finally are in a, like, I really like where we live, but you know, um, I definitely need to get out to Eastern Washington. I think it's a lot more like Colorado, uh, on the, on the inside. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've, I mean, you're one of the guys that like, I think of like some of my, my closest friends, you know, and even though we don't talk like super often, we don't like, it's not like it's gone for long. It's like we sort of pick up pretty much right where we're left off. And, um, and I think one of the things you talk about sort of being healthy, um, earlier on is being healthy is also having people that can call you on the carpet and say, yeah, that's total garbage, man. And you don't just get to sort of brush them off. Cause you know, you know, there are people that in your life that you need, um, you know, you don't want to be living in your own echo chamber, right? Of, of uh, you know, 
I'm, I'm so good at whatever. And, you know, you're one of those people that I always felt like, you know, you were just going to say what you thought and you didn't really care if I was offended or not. And I, we, I am getting a little bit better at that though. I'm, I'm, I'm making fewer enemies and, uh, you've always been very nice to me and tolerated me. Yeah. And I, I think, um, you know, I, I think that that's what we, you know, as, as people we want more of is we want people that are going to be genuine and they're going to be honest. Um, that doesn't mean that we need to agree with each other. I'm, there's plenty of stuff that we've probably disagreed on. I don't think there's anything that we were ever like, gosh, I don't know if we can still be friends. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you know, we've, you know, we've, we've, we've argued about a few things here and there. And, um, but, but at the, at the same time, like I want to be, you want to be around people that, that can, can do those sorts of things because that's really, you know, there's the old proverb about better to have wounds from a friend than kisses from an enemy. And, and that's, I think that's a great way to think about it. Um, and especially, you know, during sort of this time and all the craziness, um, in the world. So. Well, good. Well, thank you Tate, for taking time out of your busy schedule. Yeah, I would, um, I'm, I'm happy to do it, and uh, hopefully everybody stays safe. One of my favorite parts of the interview with Matt Hemingway was when he talked about the importance of the psychology of him as a high jumper. Now, Matt, Matt, would, Matt would be the first to admit he has freaky athletic, freaky athletic potential. He just has the God-given ability to jump high. And some of us are just made differently than others. It's the same thing in business as well, too. Some of us are made differently than others. But talent alone does not get you to being an Olympic silver medalist. He And I saw the transformation that took place in Matt from when I first met him. He learned how to be an amazing high jumper in competition. And it took so much effort on his part. And he is crazy determined. It has also made him an amazing business leader. Even before he was a silver medalist, he was my manager back at Verizon Wireless back uh, 2000, in the early 2000s before we both went on to different professions. But what you see is the transfer transformation because he worked his tail off. This is also one of the main reasons I've moved into executive coaching. There are many people who are talented, but without a coach and an executive coach, you we cannot reach our potential. Because Matt would say, hey, when you get to that level, everyone's talented. Not one person who makes the Olympics is not talented. And what really separates the gold medalist from the person who was fourth, no medal, was a miss. One small miss. And it could be the same in business as well too. This is why you need a great coaching team to help you reach your potential. I would love to do that for you. And one of those things, you just can't say, hey, I'm going to be your coach. There is science behind it. There is personality behind it. And a good coach understands that. So if this tweaks your interest, reach out to me on dmecoach.com and we'll have a real quick 
free 15-minute consult to see if we are a fit. If that's too soon, too fast, not a problem. Reach out and give me your email and you will get weekly DME Coach Insights that I'll send you. And you'll say, hey, does this stuff work? How is your store going to be outrageously profitable this year, next year, moving forward? Also, if you're interested in how high is seven foot eight, in the show notes of this podcast, I've attached a video of Matt jumping at the Athens Olympics as well as his silver medal jump. It's at six minutes and 45 seconds. Go ahead and fast forward unless you're a geek like me and I just watched the entire 10-minute highlight of the event. So next week, we are going to get into, is this time to expand your DME store? I said two weeks ago, this is the perfect time to go out on your own and start your own DME home health care store because of the way our industry is headed. What if you already have one? Well, maybe it's time to get your second store. Maybe you have four. Maybe it's time to go five. We're going to get into that next week. Is it time to expand and what does that look like? So look forward to talking to you next week. In the meantime, take really good care of your customers. Take even better care of your leaders, team members, and continue to grow as a leader. Eric Michelson with DME Coach.